All right. Well, let's take some time. Let's kneel together, and let's have a let's have a word of a word of prayer. Father in heaven, again we come before you. We come on bended knee, praising you and and thanking you for this holy Sabbath day. Thanking you for uh, providing for our salvation and giving us Jesus. The Bible tells us that you so loved the world that you gave. And Satan paints a different picture, but we've come to experience that you indeed love us with an everlasting love. And we are so very thankful. Father, we thank you for this wonderful Sabbath day that we can come together. We thank you for protecting your holy word that we may study it, learn the precepts, learn the principles that we can um, we can know how to how to behave in a righteous way and that you you give us grace. You send the Holy Spirit to guide and direct us and not only to cleanse us but teach us about Jesus, teach us how to be victorious. We gain the supernatural uh, strength uh, from from Thee, to be overcomers. Father, You've heard the prayer requests today and the praises. I thank You so much that You're working in the lives of these people, that they can share these things. It's encouraging to us. We pray for uh, Rollins' mother, Betty, who's having issues with uh, her hearing aids. And we pray that that can be worked out so that she can she can hear the Word of God. <laughs> and that, uh, Lord, she can be prepared for the Kingdom. We pray that you continue to be with our children. Be uh, with Josh and Kayla as they return home from their honeymoon. Please send angels to uh, protect them in their travel. Be with all our children, our families who are under attack. Father, as we speak to this today, that gospel order begins in the home. I pray that you give me the words to speak, that uh, hearts will be open to it. They may study themselves and make changes in the family to come into order so that there will also be order in the church and and we can finish this work that you've given to us. We can usher in the second coming of our Lord and Savior. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus. Gave himself for us. Died a death we deserve and it's eternal death. But yet he never sinned, being our example in all things. And gained victory over death in the grave. It gives us hope. We too can be victorious through Him. So please forgive us for our sins as we claim His blood was shed for us. And cleanse us of our unrighteousness. And may we be a blank page that you may write your laws on our hearts and we may reflect your image to all around us. Be that light that Jesus prayed for. Please continue to bless us this day. We pray in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen. As I mentioned a few moments ago, I've entitled this uh, particular study, this sermon, It Starts at Home. It Starts at Home. We've taken a great deal of time on this series um, defining God's church and 
the fruits are becoming evident as we've come closer to Christ and each other, I believe. I'm very thankful to God for His guidance and patience with us as we learn the Bible definition for the church. I've gotten a few questions which uh, I praise God that I've been able to give an answer for and have helped uh, uh, these dear souls in uh, understanding. The character traits of the church are based upon principles. They're talking about principles, see, precepts and principles. And they're based upon principles that have been laid out in His Word, and they've been the same from the very beginning of the great controversy, friends. And it's my hope and prayer that you can uh, readily see that the subject of whom and what the, the church is is an exceedingly important subject that has eternal consequences. We've learned that God's people are to be organized upon what is termed gospel order and nothing else, really. They're to be organized upon gospel order. You see, the Bible teaches that we must be in one accord before we can receive... But the Bible, it teaches that we must be in one accord before we can receive the power of the latter rain. The apostles, as a prime example of that, um, you know, they were uh, not only in one accord, but they were organized for service before receiving the early rain there at Pentecost. And they had learned at the side of Jesus, you see. They learned something about gospel order, and he had them in order, um, as they walked with him for three and a half years. And as we study their example, we learn from their example, we, you know, you can conclude that we too, we have to be in one accord and organized for service before we can receive the latter rain to finish the work in the power of God. As we talk about order, God cannot bless disorder, see. He can't trust His people if they're disordered with the power of to do uh, the work, essentially. So because he can't, tr- uh, uh, um, he can't bless disorder, we have to be in order. Isn't that true? Now, I want to experience that latter rain power. What about you? Do you want to experience that latter rain and finish the work Jesus has given you? If you do, what we're studying here is of vital importance. Unity and organization and true gospel order is a must. It's a must. And it can be demonstrated that organization is essential to accomplish the work of God, which is what we're going to get into here. We can read this, oh, friends, you can read it over and over throughout the Bible. We also can read that too many times the people of God eventually became uh, overconfident in themselves and exchanged the love for God for love of the organization. You remember we kind of looked at this? They, they gained a love for the symbol over the substance. And we don't want to do that, do we? So suffice it to say then that if we are to become organized as the people of God, we must have God at the forefront of every aspect of our life. This is the first work in organization, and we've, we found that that is an individual work. Jesus must dwell in our hearts, friends. 
And when Jesus lives within each of us, we become changed moment by moment into His image, step by step. His character becomes our character. His love becomes a very part of us physically and spiritually. And this love leads to a real unity between brethren, for it's based upon the love of God, isn't it? Now, for God's church to be effective in in delivering the last message of warning to the world, it must be made up of those who love God and each other as Jesus loves them. And it must be organized according to the biblical plan. You remember the ten character traits, and there there are more, but these were the main ones. You remember those ten character traits that... uh, that define the church. Off. Thank you. Satan hates true gospel order because it is the opposite, essentially, of his character. Now, don't get me wrong, friends. There are certain principles of order that are just principles of order. Evil, evil will use those principles and good will use those principles. But there is gospel order. And as we studied before, what is the core of gospel order? The core of gospel order is Jesus. <laughs> and so Satan hates true gospel order. He hates it. His organization, you see, feeds the selfish heart. And uh, uh, that style of organization, I mean, you... It's built upon what, what I would term, and you've probably heard it before, a pecking order. It's a pyramid, you know, kind of like what you see in Egypt. You see, the pharaohs built pyramids because they were at the top, you see. They were the pinnacle. But that's not the way God's organization, God's order is built. It's built upon agape or an unselfish goodwill, a brotherly love, a, a affection, benevolence which all have its source in the Godhead. And this is one reason why Satan hates the family unit so much, and he's attacked it from the very beginning of our existence. This is why. Because it's a reflection of the order of God. It's a reflection in many ways. The family circle teaches us about the Godhead, see? So it's a reflection in many ways of the Godhead in pure gospel order. And Satan attacked it. He attacked the family unit because of that. He lured Eve away from her husband and tempted her to be independent of God. That's what Satan said. You'll be like God. You see, Satan knows that any family that is united under God can do more for the spreading of the gospel than anything else in the world. The family is to be a true example a Christian family, <laughs> is to be a true example of gospel order to the world. It can do the greatest damage to the synagogue of Satan, you see, friends. And so we see the attacks upon the family in many different ways today. We see it through uh, feminism. We see it through um, the uh, homosexual movement. You know, the breaking down of Genders and gender roles. Our culture is being framed by the world and by the influence of Satan and his attacks upon the family unit. 
And you have the issues about what is marriage, see? There's an attack upon the family. Issues about the role of, of the mother, it's an attack upon the family. It's a feminization of the father, it's an attack upon the family. All of which is an attack upon the image of God. I'm going to share this with you. It's from a pamphlet, number 123, and page 45. It says, The most powerful sermon that can be given the unbelieving world in recommendation of our faith is a well-disciplined family. Children that are educated to habits of self-denial and self-control and are taught to be courteous, kind, and affectionate, will make an impression upon minds that nothing else can. Nothing else can. She said that's the most powerful sermon that can be given to an unbelieving world. So you see, this is why I've entitled this study, It Starts at Home. Because it does start at home. True church unity and organization, biblically speaking, starts at home. It started at creation. Uh, beloved, as God ordered everything according to His will, which is what? Perfect order, for God is perfect. And so God, remember, God's not the author of confusion. God demonstrated gospel order in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. And I want to go there and take a look at this. Let's spend a little bit of time on here so that you can see what I'm speaking about when I say that it starts at home. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2. And verse 15. We'll begin there. Here Adam has been created. And God had a work for him to do. And, and we're going to see gospel order here in the family right there in the Garden of Eden. This is how God set it up. Verse 15, And the Lord God took the man, that's Adam, and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And so, we'll stop there for a moment. We see right here that God prepared a home for man, didn't He? Whom He created. He created a home for him, a place for him, and then He placed Adam in this garden home with the definite commission, what's it say? To dress and to what? Keep it, right? So what do we learn from this? As far as gospel order, man had an ordered life. God created him, created his home. See? So the home was created by God and God placed man in it to do what? Dress it and keep it. He had an order to his life. And he was to use his physical and mental faculty to preserve the garden in the same perfect state in which he had received it. So, you see, friends, God, God provided and then made Adam steward of it all. <laughs> Isn't that true? Now, when you look at the verb to keep, it's the Hebrew word shamar, and it means to guard, to watch, to preserve, to observe. 
And I like this, to hold fast. We've talked about that already today, haven't we? To hold fast. So we see that God delegated responsibility to Adam to be the overseer of what God had provided. And this is the first example of church organization we find in the Bible. I should say with human beings at the very beginning. Church organization. God provided it. Adam was set as a steward to be an overseer of it. Let's look at verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. So what did God do? God created man, created a, 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 a home for man, and placed man in the middle of it, made him steward of it, and then what's God do? God lays out the boundaries for his created family, the church, and the principles for overseeing it. I mean, the very presence of this tree of knowledge in the garden revealed that that man was a free moral agent. He could choose. So we know that man wasn't created as a robot, was he? he? His service was not forced. He could either obey or disobey. The decision was his. And the same is true to this day, isn't it? And as members of the family of God, we have the same boundaries and the same choice that has eternal consequences. Isn't that right? Verse 18, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. And so the overseer of the garden was to have a helper. And I want you to keep this in mind as we get more into the family roles and their relevance to church order in the coming week. the, The coming studies ahead here. But the overseer, who was Adam, the overseer of the garden... He was to have help, a helper. Verse 19. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. This is very interesting to me in relationship to gospel order because people, we tend to read that and we think, oh, isn't that nice? Adam had dominion over the earth and he got to name all the animals. Well, do you know what it took? Adam didn't just go down and go, okay, animal one, two, three, four, five, six. Adam was to study these animals. And and he had to engage with them in, in, in order to give an appropriate name to them. To find their character traits. To name them, see. So he had to under... He had to have an understanding of them. He had to know what their habits were. And that would qualify him or perhaps prove him qualified to oversee them, you see. Now, think of the parallels here. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself a little bit. But think of the parallels here between Adam being an overseer there of the garden and a pastor or an elder being an overseer of the church. 
Adam was an overseer of the church on earth, much like pastors and elders are to be overseers. A prime example of the responsibility, friends, of a pastor that oversees the flock of God is to, to study the members in a similar way that Adam studied the animals. To help him determine through the Spirit, friends, don't get, you know, don't get sidetracked in thinking it's just you know, the boss is determining where to place the employees. But to help through the Spirit determine their role in the function of the local church. You see how God had this gospel order in the family there in the garden to teach us? It was the first church on earth. Let's look at verse 20. And Adam gave... And by the way, we get back... Who was the overseer of the garden? Was it Eve? It was Adam. Isn't that right? So we got some people, many in this country who have been sucked into the uh, actual attack on the family unit through feminism, who think that women, now don't get me wrong, ladies, you have your role, but God laid out the role of the man as the overseer. And we'll see this more and more as we get into the roles of the family members. Adam was the overseer. Eve was his helper. Okay? There's a lot we can learn from that. Let's be open to understand what God has to say to us. So we talk about, quote, women's ordination into being pastors or ministers. They're out of line with God's gospel order. Okay? And it's not a sexist thing. It has to do with the way we've been created and our functions according to God's will. And we'll get into that a little bit later on. But we can see these parallels here. We can see, see these principles and how God laid out gospel order there in the Garden of Eden, see. Verse 20, And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he, that's God, took one of his ribs, Adam's ribs, and closed up the flesh instead thereof. God basically did surgery on Adam. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. This is very interesting. And and, uh, this shows that there isn't a hierarchy. God's gospel order isn't a hierarchy. See? He created man, but he created woman from the man that stood essentially so shoulder to shoulder with him. Adam's rib formed the basic material from which Eve was, you know, quote, built. And so the woman was formed for inseparable unity and fellowship of life with with Adam and, and, and the mode of her creation was to lay the actual foundation for the moral ordinance of marriage. She was to, and I think, Ellen White says this in Patriarchs and Prophets. She says that he was to stand by his side as an equal, to be loved and protected by him. Absolutely. So my wife just said that should make women feel good. Secure. And that's what they're supposed to feel, is secure. And we'll get into that when we discuss uh, the role of the man. 
and uh, husband and father, as well as the role of the woman, the wife and the mother, and their relationship and how that uh, pertains to gospel order, see, in the church. But marriage here, marriage is a type of the fellowship of love and life that exists between the Lord and His church, isn't it? And so uh, man is being taught this. And we're being taught what gospel order is because of how God ordained not only marriage, but He ordained the Sabbath. He set it aside to be holy. Marriage is holy, the Sabbath is holy. And God created it that way right there in the garden as lessons to us, many lessons for us, but also lessons of gospel order and of what is sacred. Gospel order is sacred, friends. Because... As we learned before, the gospel is Jesus Christ. And so it's a sacred order that God has set up here in the Garden of Eden. And we need to learn the valuable lessons here. We need to dig below the surface, friends. Not be surface readers. But you can see in this, this marriage that here it's not a pyramid. The woman is to stand by his side as an equal and to be loved by Adam, by the man, and protected by him. Not a boss over her. Not a master over a slave. She was his helper side by side. But the full responsibility fell upon the man. You can't get past that, friends. That doesn't mean he makes all the decisions. Again, we'll get into this more and more as we go on. Let's look at verse 23. But what I was going to say is, you see that marriage here is a type of fellowship of love and life that exists between Christ and the church. You know, you could say the man and the woman, the, the groom and the bride, right? Verse 23, And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. They don't mind meld and body meld into one being. Right? Some people picture the Godhead in that way. Errantly so. But they being taken, her, her being taken, the woman being taken from man they have that unity and a love already. That's why he says, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. I mean, these words express the deepest physical and spiritual unity uh, of uh, a man and a woman. They also hold up monogamy before the world as the form of marriage ordained by God. I'm going to throw that in there too. Now, don't misunderstand what, what's being said here either. It's not a recommendation that we forsake our duty and respect toward our parents. <laughs> but it, it, it really it, it refers primarily to the fact that a man's wife is to be first in his affections and that his first duty now is toward her. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. See? Now, there are a lot of lessons in these scriptures here, but what I want you to see is that true gospel order starts at home. 
It starts at home. It begins with the individual. You say with Adam. He was created. Then the family. Well, Adam and Eve. And then it will be seen in the church. Now, considering what we just looked at, and like I said, the coming weeks we're going to get deeper and deeper into to this. As I said, the role of the, the, the man, the husband, the father, and the role of the wife, the mother, uh, the woman, the wife, and the mother, even the roles of the children. You begin to see, wow, what great lessons of gospel order there are in the family circle. And that gives us lessons into how the church is organized to gospel order. But uh, uh, considering this truth, I've, I've found that the following words of Christ, I found them really quite interesting. We go to Matthew chapter 10 and begin with verse 32. Jesus, it's very interesting what he was teaching here. And considering gospel order, the family circle there in the Garden of Eden at creation... Now think of these words that Jesus is speaking here. He says, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Whoa, wait a minute. (laughs) Step back a second. In the Garden of Eden, God created man. Created a place, a abode for him, a home for him. Placed man in that home. Gave him a helper and said, keep it and dress it. Taught him the boundaries. God created the family circle. And here Jesus is saying, hey, I came to set a man at variance against his father. What's going on here? The daughter against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Got kind of an issue here. But then he clarifies it a bit, doesn't he? He says... He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake, what's he say? Shall find it. He that receiveth you receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. So it's very interesting. You get the the importance of the Christian family, the family circle, and then here's Jesus saying, hey, I came to set people at variance. (laughs) But don't misunderstand what he means. He said, a man's and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. You know, in my experience, I've seen that when a person accepts Christ, even in my experience, his closest friends often turn out to be his most bitter and relentless enemies. When I became a Christian, I lost all my friends. All of them. I tried to witness to them. I tried, you know, I, was, I loved them. I wanted them to know this new friend that I found. 
but I just got cold shoulders. Rejection. And so, you know, when a person accepts Christ, it's just as Jesus was saying here in Matthew 10. His closest friends turn out to be his most bitter enemies. And this is often true not only in heathen lands, but also in Christian lands and among professed Christians who practice a form of religion, but know little, if anything, of its power to transform the life. There are people who profess to be Christians, but when you bring them truth and you're living a certain way, you get the same type of rejection. You get the same type of uh, um, reaction. They'll think you're a fanatic. You know, Paul said, and, and he gave a warning in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 5. He said, these are people that have a form of godliness. They profess to be Christians. They profess to be followers of Jesus. Remember, Jesus was saying, hey, if you love father and mother more than me, you're not worthy of me. If you don't take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of me. They have a form of godliness, but they denying the power thereof. They deny the power to have a changed life to be like that of Christ. And Paul said, from such, turn away. And of such maybe the bitterest enemies one can have are members of their own family. Have you ever experienced that? We've experienced it, haven't we? Why? You know, they have that the old saying is blood is thicker than water. Well, in the context of Christianity, no. Jesus just said so, Matthew ten. Why is it that some of our most bitterest enemies are, can be members of our own family? Because Satan, friends, attacks the Christian and will always use members of his own family circle if he can, especially the father and mother, to destroy the family circle. And this is so important that God made a commandment about it that we are to honor our father and our mother. We are to honor the family circle. Nevertheless, love and honor for one's parents or any other family member must never stand in the way of obedience to God in in, any particular, friends. Love to God and service for Him are to be the supreme rule of life as Jesus was setting forth there in Matthew 10. And so, Satan attacks the family circle first, so they're, you know, that's where uh, we're going to first begin the process, and that's where you begin the process of gospel order, organization. Just as we saw God ordained order of the family in, in Genesis chapter 2, remember? We see Satan's attack of the family uh, order that God set there in chapter 2, in chapter 3. So he attacked the family from the very beginning, friends. And the first step in organization of the family is for the leaders of these families to be converted individuals. We know that Adam was created and clothed with a robe of righteousness. 
And this same righteousness of Christ is available to all who give themselves wholly to Jesus. Isn't that right? And that's the very first step of becoming one with Christ and a member of the family of God. We've studied that before. The husband and wife must be converted Christians. Doesn't that make sense? If Satan can get the husband and wife against each other, his work has been made so much easier and the family will fail. On the inside, if not entirely on the outside as well. The husband and wife must be converted. They must be as one flesh. Amos 3.3 says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? You know, I've seen the damage that's caused when the father and mother are at odds. The home is to be, as we, we've said, it's to be a little heaven on earth. But too many times, what happens? Satan comes in, he's allowed to come in, some aren't believers, whatever may be the case, and the home becomes a hellhole because of the selfishness of the husband or of the wife or both. And the only way to change this is to come to the foot of the cross, to repent of our sins and to give ourselves to Jesus. And then what we do? We've given Him permission. He'll give us new desires. He'll give us a love for others that He has for us. Then we can uh, begin the work of bringing gospel order into the family circle. Let me share some things with you. The Adventist Home, page 37. The first work of Christians. What do you think it is? I mean, I can come up with all kinds of things. The first work of Christians. We need to get to the neighbors, don't we, and share the love of Jesus with them. We need to have an evangelistic event. What is the first work of Christians? She says, is to be united in the family. Wow. Bam. Did you see that coming? The first work of Christians is to be united in the family. Then the work is to extend to their neighbors nigh and afar off. Those who have received light are to let the light shine forth in clear rays. Their words, fragrant with the love of Christ, are to be a savor of life unto life. What's the first work of Christians? To be united in the family. Friends, our first work in organizing is as individuals and then as a family. But it doesn't end there beloved it merely begins there and there's a reason that the family is to be united and organized and it's not just for the sake of being in unity as a family though that is to be sought (laughs) you'd be wrong it is to be a light to the world doesn't that sound like one of the characteristics of the church it is isn't it here's another one it's from the book lift him up page 253 Some households have a little church in their home. Mutual love binds heart to heart, and the unity that exists among the members of the family preaches the most effectual sermon that could be preached on practical godliness. Not just theories, the practical godliness. It's talking about the practical things of life, how we live, how we behave. As parents faithfully do their duty in the family, restraining, correcting, advising, 
counseling, guiding, the father as a priest of the household, the mother as a home missionary. We'll get to those more detail later on. They are filling the sphere God would have them fill. Who has them fill that? The church? No, God. By faithfully doing their duty in the home, they are multiplying agencies for doing good outside the home. They are becoming better fitted to labor in the church. You see where it starts at home, friends? By training their little flock discreetly, binding their children to themselves and to God, fathers and mothers become laborers together with God. The cross is erected in their home. The members of the family become members of the royal family above, children of the heavenly king. So we can see the gospel order starts in the home as individuals and family members. It starts at the cross and the love of Christ brings the family together in close relationship with Him and each other. And then what happens? It ripples out, doesn't it? It ripples out through the church. It ripples out from the church to the world. And the world will see whether our walk matches our profession. Desire of Ages, page 504. Unless, like that word, unless there is practical self-sacrifice for myself. No, that's not what it says. <laughs> unless there is practical self-sacrifice for the good of others in the family circle, in the neighborhood, in the church, and wherever we may be, then, whatever our profession, we are not Christians. Whoa! What was the first work of a Christian? What was it? It was to be united in the family. The first work of Christians is to be united in the family. Then it's to extend out, right? Remember? And then she says here, unless there is practical... What does that mean, practical? That means put into practice, doesn't it? Unless there is practical self-sacrifice for the good of others in the family circle. You see, it starts at home, doesn't it? In the family circle, in the neighborhood, in the church, and wherever we may be, then whatever our profession, we are not Christians. If you are not self-sacrificing for the good of others in your family... You're not a Christian. In the neighborhood, in the church, wherever you're going to be, wherever you're at, if you're not doing that, friends, you're not a Christian. Why aren't you? What did Jesus do? Was Jesus not practicing self-sacrifice for the good of others wherever He was? Yes, He was. And if He lives in our hearts... We will do the same, and we will be Christians. You see the principle here, friends. God formed the family unit for several reasons, not the least of which was to show us a microcosm of how the family of God operated. The family unit is a lesson teacher for us on gospel order, friends. And there's another principle we can glean from this example. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, we've seen this several times. 
Jesus said, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both where? In Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. There's an order here, isn't there? Organization starts in the home with the individual. The Holy Ghost comes upon you. See? You're changed. Then it's then organization goes to the family. Well, that's Jerusalem. Then the local flock, Judea. Then the neighborhoods, Samaria, and finally throughout the world, the earth. As Paul said, 1 Corinthians 14, 40, let all things be done decently and in order. And Jesus gave them order here. You have to have the old Holy Ghost come upon you first. I said earlier, the husband and the wife have to be one flesh. That means they have to be converted and Christians. Now, you know, it's true that there are many uh, today who have dysfunctional families or who may be the only member of their family to be a Christian or maybe, you know, a single-parent home or they might be all alone. And it's to these dear souls that the Lord says, follow me. Follow me. And beloved, when you follow Jesus, you become a member of the largest family in all creation. <laughs> you believe that? Though you may be the only believer in your family, though you may be a single parent, though you may be by yourself, I'm going to tell you that with God on your side, you're never alone. You've heard me say that before. You're never alone. When you have God in your heart and you are a part of the family, an heir you are. You become an heir to the heavenly kingdom. The church is a family. The church is the family, I'll say, for those who are the only believer in a home. For those who are single parents. And for those who think they are all alone. The church is the family. Now, without true organization, it becomes difficult or impossible to embrace souls who are in such situations. And this is just as Satan wants it. He wants God's churches, his little organizations, these organizations around to be disorganized according to God's order. You know, family is to take care of family. And how can we do this if we are not organized to do it? We don't understand these principles. Notice this from Selected Messages, Volume 1, pages 114 to 115. Christianity is the revealing of the tenderest affection for one another. Christ is to receive supreme love from the beings He has created, and He requires also that man shall cherish a sacred regard for his fellow beings. Every soul saved will be saved through love, which begins with God. True conversion is a change from selfishness to sanctified affection for God and for one another. That's what true conversion is. And friends, I'm going to tell you, there are members of the family of faith who are suffering because we are straying from the path of gospel order, which actually means our love is waning. Let's not stray any longer, beloved. We must be organized for service. Service to others. 
esteeming them better than ourselves and fulfilling the prayer of Christ to love one another as He has loved us. And remember the statement before. If we don't have a practical unselfishness to all around us, we're not Christians. But getting back to Acts 1.8, we see in Christ's words there that the ripple principle of the gospel, the gospel order starts with a converted individual. It ripples toward the family, outward to them, then the neighborhood, the church, and the world. And true gospel order starts at home. And it's amazing to think that when we have gospel order in our home, we can actually reach the world. That family can. As she said, it's the most powerful sermon that can be preached is a well-ordered and disciplined Christian family. It's amazing. Abraham understood this as the Lord said in our scripture reading there. We read Genesis eighteen nineteen. For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. He became the father of many nations, didn't he? In our quest to understand and implement gospel order, we've got to learn principles of practical godliness as individuals. And I shared some of those uh, in our study, um, the study, well, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I entitled The Core Gospel Order. Some practical things. And even prayer. Prayer is a science. There's a science to it. We need to learn those things. But there are many more principles of gospel order and practical godliness to learn. That's why we're, why we're here. <laughs> But what are some tangible things of a well-ordered individual, a home and family that will bring me into order? Well, I'd highly recommend that everyone get access to the book, The Adventist Home, if you don't have it. That's a good place to start. And study it with your Bible. And for those with children, the, uh, you know, that book, The Adventist Home, and the book Child Guidance are very invaluable. A lot of principles there. These books detail you know, the principles involved in having a well-ordered, organized, and godly family and home. And the principles are the same you know, for all, whether someone lives alone or has a large family. That's why it's a principle, see? And if you're the only Christian in your family, the same principles apply to you as well, but it may be much more difficult to employ them. But be faithful and pray. Your actions and prayers may just save your family by bringing them to Christ. But I want to share some tangibles, uh, tangible things with you that will help to order your home as God would have it. And friends, the really encouraging thing to me is that these are principles that all can use. We each have our own experiences and individuality. You know, we're created that way. We're not all alike. We're not all clones. We're not all robots. We have our own experiences, but these principles can be applied to all, regardless of that. I found God's wonderful that way, isn't He? Here, notice this. There's an article entitled The Hour of Worship from the Pacific Union Recorder, May 22, 1902. In the family, order should prevail. The members should be trained to regular habits. Trained to regular habits. What's she mean? Well, this is what she means. There should be a fixed time for rising, a time for breakfast, 
any time for worship, either directly before or directly after the morning meal. How appropriate it is for parents to gather their children about them before the fast is broken and point them to the Heavenly Father who so liberally gives them the bounties of His providence. How fitting for them to thank Him for His protection during the night and to ask for His help and grace and the watch care of His angels during the day. How fitting also when evening comes to gather once more before Him and praise Him for the mercies and blessings of the day that is past. Remember, I shared with you some of these, uh, some of these things in the core of gospel order. Those two messages, some practical things there, and how to to schedule and set up your home, you know, a regular schedule that you adhere to. You see, having a schedule like that actually encourages righteous habits, doesn't it? The schedule also is to include regular worship times in the morning and evening. Now, I've talked about this before and I've had some people say to me that a schedule just doesn't work for them. And I don't... I kind of chuckle to myself a little bit because, you know, really? It doesn't work for you? Beloved, we're all on a schedule whether we realize it or not. You know? The idea is to order our schedule after God's will and His ways and not our own selfish ones. Isn't that right? Here's one from the Adventist Home, page 314. The family firm must be well organized. Together, the father and mother must consider their responsibilities and with a clear comprehension undertake their task. There is to be no variance... The father and mother should never in the presence of their children criticize each other's plans and judgment. That's very important. But I'm sharing this with you because I wanted to point out that she says the father and mother must consider their responsibilities. The home is to be well organized, she says. The husband and wife, they've got to consider their responsibilities. Not only to each other, but to God including responsibilities as father and mother of children are involved, of course. They are to be in agreement. As Adam said, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone, to be one flesh, God said. To be in agreement, to have a unity. If you don't have agreement, what happens? Well, confusion arises, and God is not the author of confusion. I'm going to tell you that. The Bible tells us that. I found that education... This is what I wanted to stress. Education is the key to a lot of these difficulties that we find in the family. The father doesn't exactly know his role because he's looking to the culture around and the father's role is diminished and trampled upon and same with the mother. So there's a lot of confusion and, and they're not educated enough to know what is, the, what is our role. How are we to be organized? Well, just as she stated, the father and mother must consider their responsibilities and with a clear comprehension undertake their task. A clear comprehension means you've got to clearly understand it. Too often the husband and wife or parents, they don't fulfill their responsibilities because they don't know what they are. <laughs> Biblically speaking, they don't know what they are. The two were married before taking into consideration what their roles are before God, and then it becomes a real hardship. 
But if educated in the school of Christ as to the roles and responsibilities of each, many problems would disappear. Then there are some who know what their responsibilities are, but either reject their responsibilities or are lazy in fulfilling them. And this is very sad indeed. And they'll have to give an account to God for their indifference and their disobedience. It damages the family circle. It gives a false trumpet call to the world. And as I said, I find that a number of the difficulties in the home come from a lack of education as to the responsibilities of each and also the lack of heart and faith to adhere to them. Each case will cause strife and that's not good. Proverbs 15 and verse 19 says, The way of the slothful man is as a hedge of thorns, but the way of the righteous is made plain. How much time I got? I still got a little bit to go here. Probably going to run a little long here. Yeah, we always seem to have a technical difficulty on Here's another one from the Adventist Home, page 310. Unsteadiness in family government is productive of great harm. In fact, is nearly as bad as no government at all. The question is often asked, why are the children of religious parents so often headstrong, defiant, and rebellious? The reason is to be found in the home training. Too often the parents are not united in their family government. And we all have experienced it, friends. The wife has certain ideas, the husband has certain ideas, and there's conflict. If you're not united in your family government, then prayerfully seek out the reason for it. Is it a lack of education concerning your duties and responsibilities? Is it because your partner is not a believer? And beloved, I'll tell you this. God is a miracle worker. (laughs) And He can change many things to the good. He can use you to write a ship that is on a wrong course, but you have to believe. You have to be educated in His school. You have to obey. There has to be love. And when this is done, just watch how the Lord works a miracle in your family. Here's another one. The Adventist Home, page 17. Every Christian home should have rules. Uh Uh-oh. You mean we've got to have rules? Yeah. (laughs) Tim just said, yeah, you just lost your kids. You mean there's rules? Well, I'll tell you deep down, they'll grow to appreciate rules. More often, it's the parents that don't really want the rules. (laughs) Yeah. Three. Every. <laughs> exactly. I set this rule. I don't want to have to enforce it. One. Yeah, that's one thing. Jesus didn't say, I want you to do this. I'm going to count to three. <laughs> right. <laughs> Every Christian home should have rules, she says, and parents should, in their words and deportment toward each other, give to the children a precious living example of what they desire them to be. Purity in speech and true Christian courtesy should be constantly practiced. Teach the children and youth to respect themselves, to be true to God, true to principle. Teach them to respect and obey the law of God. 
These principles will control their lives and will be carried out in their association with others. They will create a pure atmosphere, one that will have an influence that will encourage weak souls in the upward path that leads to holiness and heaven. Let every lesson be of an elevating and ennobling character, and the records made in the books of heaven will be such as you will not be ashamed to meet in the judgment. Children who receive this kind of instruction will be prepared to fill places of responsibility, and by precept and example, will be constantly aiding others to do right. Those whose moral sensibilities have not been blunted will appreciate right principles. They will put a just estimate upon their natural endowments and will make the best use of their physical, mental, and moral powers. Such souls are strongly fortified against temptation. Isn't that something? This is how we get fortified against temptation. They are surrounded by a wall not easily broken down. Remember the story I read today? He made a right decision and it helped to fortify a wall around him. God would have our families symbols of the family in heaven. Let that sink in. Let parents and children bear this in mind every day, relating themselves to one another as members of the family of God. Then their lives will be of such a character as to give to the world an object lesson of what families who love God and keep His commandments may be. Christ will be glorified. His peace and grace and love will pervade the family circle like a precious perfume. Much depends on the father and mother. They are to be firm and kind in their discipline and they are to work most earnestly to have an orderly, correct household that the heavenly angels may be attracted to it to impart peace and a fragrant influence. Wow. Here's another one. Page 22, Advent's Home. God is displeased with disorder, slackness, and a lack of thoroughness in anyone. These deficiencies are serious evils and tend to wean the affection of the husband from the wife when the husband loves order, well-disciplined children, and a well-regulated house. A wife and mother cannot make home agreeable and happy unless she possesses a love for order, preserves her dignity, that means she's not a slave, you know, preserves her dignity, and has good government. Therefore, all who fail on these points should begin at once to what? educate themselves in this direction and cultivate the very things wherein is their greatest lack. Education, friends. Like Hosea 4, 6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. A lack of knowledge. We need to be educated. You're not going to find that true gospel order education in the world, in the schools of the world. We are to be an educated people in the knowledge of God and His ways, friends. Having a well-disciplined and ordered family doesn't just happen. It takes education. It takes perseverance to succeed in the duties we're given. The great thing is that Jesus doesn't leave us to do such things all by ourselves. Amen? He gives us grace to endure and the aid of angels as well as fellow believers. Here's another one from the Adventist Home, page 306. There is need for constant watching that the principles which lie at the foundation of family government are not disregarded. 
The Lord designs that the families on earth shall be symbols of the family in heaven. And when earthly families are conducted in right lines, the same sanctification of the Spirit will be brought into the church. Did you get that? And when earthly families are conducted in right lines, the same sanctification of the Spirit will be brought into the church. There are many reasons why a church will fall. The greatest reason can be found in the family circles of the members of that church. And friends, I mean, do you see that gospel order starts in the home? And when that happens, it will be brought into the church? Can you see the same principles for family order being used for church order? It's rather amazing how far away the church has gotten from true gospel order. It's rather amazing. But when you begin to be educated, you can see clearly. You can see Satan's tentacles and all the different avenues of attack upon the family circle. Let me share this one with you. The Adventist Home, page 317. Everyone in the family is to be nourished by the lessons of Christ, and the interest of each soul is to be strictly guarded in order that Satan shall not deceive and allure away from Christ. It's important to guard the avenues of the soul in the family circle, friends. What are your children watching? What are you watching? What, are you, what friends are you associating with? What, you've got to look at all the avenues that can influence your family. Satan wants to tear your family apart. She says this is the standard every family should aim to reach and they should determine not to fail or to be discouraged. When parents are diligent and vigilant in their instruction and train their children with an eye single to the glory of God, they cooperate with God and God cooperates with them in the saving of the souls of the children from whom Christ has died. Religious instruction... This, notice this statement. She says religious instruction means much more than ordinary instruction. It means that you are to pray with your children, teaching them how to approach Jesus and tell Him all their wants. It means that you are to show in your life that Jesus is everything to you and that His love makes you patient, kind, forbearing, and yet firm in commanding your children after you as did Abraham. Just as you conduct yourself in your home life, you are registered in the books of heaven. He who would become a saint in heaven, notice this, he who would become a saint in heaven must first become a saint in his own family. That's a powerful statement. If fathers and mothers are true Christians in the family, they will be useful members of the church and be able to conduct affairs in the church and in society after the same manner in which they conduct their family concerns. Parents, let not your religion be simply a profession, but let it become a reality. These are powerful words, friends. Powerful words. Remember we read Paul's warning about having a profession of godliness but denying the power? And let us walk the walk by grace. Amen? One more. The Adventist home, page 319. In the home, the foundation is laid for the prosperity of the church. I don't know how much plainer it can be, friends, that it all gospel order starts in the home. It starts at home. 
In the home, the foundation is laid for the prosperity of the church. The influences that rule in the home life are carried into the church life. Therefore, church duties should first begin in the where? Home. What duties? Church duties. When we have good home religion, we will have excellent meeting religion. Hold the fort at home. Consecrate your family to God and then speak and act at home as a Christian. Friends, these are, these are principles of gospel order and organization that start at home. And if we're to be an organized people, it's got to start in our homes, doesn't it? Then we will be better fitted to come together in true unity as the people of God that will shake the world with latter rain power. And as we've seen, the Christian family circle teaches us the principles of gospel order. And if we learn more about the roles of those who make up the family circle, we'll learn the attributes for correct church order. So, like I said, I'm going to spend some time taking a closer look at the biblical role of the man, the woman, the child to learn principles of order for the church. Share them with you. So please be sure to attend. And and I encourage you to invite others to hear these truths. And we'll see you a revolution of gospel power. That power that comes with the latter rain when we finish this work, friends. Because, beloved, Jesus wants to help us as individuals and families. Do you believe that? Jesus wants to help us come into order upon His character traits. Jesus wants to help us overcome all obstacles on our path to the kingdom. Will we let Him? Will you let Him? Friend, I pray that you will. And I say with Paul, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height? And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto Him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You so much for your love towards us. And that you share these principles. You've kept them. You've protected them. These are the principles of your government. And their, their foundation is love. The unselfish, that charity, that agape. Lord, help us as we study these things. Help us to come into true order in our families. May the motivation be love for Christ. And love for others. That we may have well-ordered families that can reach this world with the three angels' messages and hasten our Lord's return. This is a lot for some to grasp, I think, Lord. I pray that you give them a double portion of the Spirit and to have understanding that we all may be unified under the banner of Christ. Please continue to be with us throughout this Sabbath day. Keep us safe and may we gain that blessing you've promised, that taste of heaven. We pray in the name of Jesus so worthy. Amen.